Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast. I am the purveyor of peddling fiction, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, your host, John Profita. How's everybody doing today? It is Tuesday afternoon, hopefully well. Thank you all so very much for tuning in once again. Sorry, I couldn't get an episode out yesterday. It was just one of those days, a little too busy. And we had some big news over the weekend break, which is one of the things I want to talk about today. And that is, of course, that Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is dead. (laughs) Um, Trump gave the announcement Sunday morning. And, of course, in in my opinion, the, the more fascinating aspect of this is not the fact that we've killed another terrorist. Baghdadi was the the new head of ISIS, you know, horrible guy by by almost everyone's definition except for the Washington Post apparently. But but to me the the, the fascinating thing here, the big story is not that we killed another terrorist. It's the reaction to the whole situation to Trump announcing it by the corporate press, by the mainstream media. It's just always so revealing to me and so much more interesting than the actual story. Because, you know, great, you know, Baghdadi's dead. (laughs) My my initial reaction to it was like, oh, okay, I I guess we can pack up and go home now, right? We're done over there. We're done over in Syria or wherever the hell we are now. Um, and of course, just like with Osama bin Laden, that's never the case. It's you, you kill one of these guys, another one takes his place. They even say they're like they're waiting to to determine. They're they're waiting to hear who's going to be the successor to Al Baghdadi. Like, uh, okay, what are we what are we gonna do? Just keep doing this forever? That's the plan, because we're not gonna stop creating these terrorists if you know anything about blowback theory the longer we're over there the more we're meddling in things where we don't belong the more of these radicals we create and god forbid like in the case of isis we're actually arming and funding them and training them this is going to be a never-ending thing so yeah great we we took out al-baghdadi now what (laughs) now 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 what's our reason for staying over there what what are you going to come up with now? Oh, well, now there's this new guy stepping in. And now we have to go after him. This is never-ending. This doesn't change anything. Whenever you take out one of these guys, it changes nothing. 
You cross a name off a list. Everybody moves up one notch on the on the ladder of terrorists. You know they have to they have to print a new deck of cards, I guess, for all these military guys over there, so they can figure out who the most wanted are, and, and go after those guys for another I don't know ten, fifteen, twenty years. When's it gonna end? So I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this changes nothing. It just gives Trump something to brag about. As if he needed another thing to make him think he's so great. I got to say, you know, I listened to his announcement. I didn't listen to it live, actually. Sunday I was busy doing things. I listened to it yesterday. And, I mean, it is hilarious. It's He's just, he's literally the funniest guy. I know he's not trying to be, but he is. he is hilarious to me. I don't see how anybody doesn't see the humor and just how funny his speeches are. I I get why people. I guess I get why people don't like him. But how do you not watch him just get up there with this stupid grin on his face? He's a cartoon character, and he's just, you know, these terrorists over there, these ISIS guys. They're very smart. They use the internet pretty much better than anybody, except Donald Trump. <laughs> I don't know things like that. They crack me up. But apparently, uh, they piss everybody else off in the corporate press. He's not being presidential enough for you guys. Uh, that's never been very important to me. I don't, I don't, I don't put all this um, credence in being presidential. Uh, I don't care. I don't elevate the president to this uh, godlike status that the rest of the people do. But it was just pretty hilarious to watch the, the corporate press and the, you know all of these so-called journalists and all these blue check marks on Twitter try to find something wrong with Donald Trump and what he did on this as if you know because Donald Trump is bad and he kill or he gave the order to kill al-Baghdadi that must be bad too that's the extent of their thinking on this and it's the it's the Trump derangement syndrome kicking in there was I lived through the whole uh, Osama bin Laden thing. I, I hope the rest of you did too. <laughs> if you're listening now, you probably did as well. Uh, that was all jubilation. That was celebration. Finally, after all these years, we took out Osama bin Laden. And, uh, you know, uh, Obama would brag about it. Biden would brag about it. You know, he, it was like one of his campaign pitches. Osama bin Laden is dead and GM is alive. <laughs> Remember all that? Um, and the media ate that up for some reason. But they don't, they don't like the way Trump brags about it. Not being presidential enough. He talks about how he's cowering and whimpering and crying all the way down the tunnel. I, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. Celebrating the death of somebody, you know, it's regardless of how bad the person is. I, I think that's kind of in poor taste. I, I didn't really... You know, it doesn't really bother me, but I just like, yeah, okay, that's that's not great to just be uh, throwing parties when when you kill somebody. I didn't really care for it when it it happened with Osama bin Laden and and now, but I don't care that we talk shit about these guys when we talk about killing them. This is a guy that cuts people's heads off. He, he lights people on fire. Not a very nice person. I, I'm not gonna lose any sleep over the fact that Trump's talking shit about how he's a wimpy little bitch running down the tunnel. Uh, the last moments of his life, he was crying like a little girl. 
to me, you know, who who cares? But apparently that um that's the that's the real outrage here is that Trump was talking about how he's whimpering and could he really hear that on on the on the audio feed or the video feed that he was watching? How does he know he was whimpering? I think CNN had like a whole segment on this about how he couldn't possibly know that he was whimpering. Who cares? Uh, who, who cares? Stop trying to find something wrong with this. It's just, it's so pathetic. It's so pathetic. And then, oh my God, the Washington Post. You had Max Boot, a Washington Post columnist, who took issue with the fact that Trump called him a coward and that he said he was whimpering. He's like, Trump could not possibly have heard whimpering and crying on the overhead imagery because there was no audio. Uh, the assertion that Baghdadi died as a coward was, in any case, contradicted by the fact that rather than be captured, he blew himself up. <laughs> it's like, oh. Okay, so that's the courageous thing now. It's courageous to blow yourself up. Uh, when did committing suicide? When did using your three three of your kids as human shields to avoid being shot, dragging them down to a tunnel and blowing yourself up along with them, blowing up your three kids? When was that considered courageous? Did I miss something? Did I miss that article in the Washington Post? I might have missed it because their headlines can be a little deceiving. If you read the the newspaper on uh, Sunday morning, you might have missed the fact that we had a raid, that U.S. forces raided Baghdadi's compound, and he blew himself up to avoid capture. Because if you just read their headline, oh, you know, the... um. The terrorist in chief, al Baghdadi, dies at 48. Like, that was their first headline. Okay. And then they changed it to the uh, austere religious scholar Abu Bakr al Baghdadi at the helm of the Islamic State dies at 48. Like he just died of uh, dysentery or he had cancer and he succumbed to it or maybe a heart attack, just died. <laughs> you, you can't make this stuff up. They, I think they changed their headline three different times. Three times they changed their headline in a pathetic attempt to make him out to be something that he wasn't. To make to spin this in a way to make Trump look bad. Like, why can't we just call people what they are? Why does he have to go from, you know, terrorist in chief to austere religious scholar to extremist leader? Dies at 48. Uh, thank you. You know, 90% of people just read the headline. And that's what they're going. I guess that's what they're banking on here. It reminds me of the whole Easter worshippers thing, for when when Obama and uh, Hillary Clinton were tweeting because there was that terrorist attack uh, on Easter worshippers. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's a there's a word to describe people who worship Easter. Uh, they're called Christians. And uh, why don't you just say Christians? Why do you have to go? Why do you have to bend over backwards and invent terms? <laughs> why can't you just say it? Why can't you just say Christians? Why can't you just call this guy what he is? And why can't you put in your headline what actually happened? Hilarity ensued after this. It was great. Everybody on Twitter was writing. Um, it was tr trending on Twitter where Washington Post uh, obituaries and death notices. <laughs> I actually tweeted one out. I wrote one about Hitler. It was uh, Adolf Hitler, aspiring artist, pioneer in bold facial hair sculpting, and victim of the ongoing opioid crisis, dies at 56. 
<laughs> if you don't know already, Hitler was rumored to be heavily uh, addicted to cocaine, and his doctor was prescribing him methamphetamines. But people were coming up with all sorts of these things for uh, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer and all these serial killers, Joseph Stalin. And, and I guess that is one silver lining from all of this madness is that with the advent of social media, with the internet, it is finally possible to just call these publications out for all of their bullshit. And now all of a sudden you have thousands of people who can see how ridiculous this is and who can tweet at them in real time and make fun of them and point out how ridiculous they're being and, and just how biased they are all the time. And the, their stupidity, their insanity is memorialized on the internet. You can pull it up at the drop of a dime. You don't have to go to the library and get on some like microfiche and scan through the headlines to see what people were writing. No, no, it, it's at your fingertips. <laughs> One thing I did do was pull up the headlines from when Osama bin Laden died, but I guarantee you if you do, they, they don't read anything like this. <laughs> they don't call him an austere religious scholar. <laughs> okay, and, and the, the CNN and NBC and ABC, all these news networks aren't quibbling over how Barack Obama delivered the news to us. They're talking about the news itself. They're not talking about, oh, th this word that Trump used, this is, uh, this is really inappropriate, don't you think? Or how did he know he was whimpering? Is that a lie? It's just so pathetic that they always have to try to make it about Trump, how Trump is bad, how something, you know, th there's nothing that he could do that is good. Trump could cure cancer tomorrow, and all of a sudden, can't, like curing cancer would be a bad thing because Donald Trump did it. I guarantee you, I would bet my life on it. If Donald Trump cures cancer, the media would find a problem with it. Somewhere, somehow along the way, it's not good enough because Donald Trump did it. This is where we are. This is where we're at. If you just Google headlines right now, you can see the extent that they're willing to stretch to try to make this about Trump. Officials cringe as Trump spills sensitive details of Baghdadi raid. Trump claims ISIS leader whimpered in final moments. Top, top officials don't know where he got that detail. It's just like, oh, okay, yeah, let's quibble about that. Let's quibble about how Donald Trump announced this uh, event and, and talk about that all week. And instead of the fact that this is what happened and these are maybe the ramifications of it, it, it it's really something. It's really something to watch this all unfold. And they wonder why people don't trust the media. And like I said, I don't even think this is that big of an accomplishment. It doesn't change anything. It's not a hard decision to make for a president. Like It drives me crazy when these guys give them this huge pat on the back. Like Donald Trump is breaking his, his shoulder to pat himself on the back. Obama did the same thing. It's like, oh yeah, this is such a difficult decision to make. Giving the order to kill him. Like, how hard of a choice is that? <laughs> it's like, hey, we think we have Osama bin Laden in this compound. Okay, go kill him. Uh, what? That, that, that's hard to do? That's hard to do? Hey, we have Baghdadi. We, we think he's in this compound. Should we go get him? Yes or no? Uh, yeah, sure. Go give it a shot. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Some casualties? They don't give a shit about casualties. And will we even find out about it if something went wrong? Probably not. 
Probably not. But what's the worst that could happen? Some U.S. troops die. They don't give a shit about that. Nobody reports on that. Some, some civilians die. We, we, we bomb civilians all day long. Nobody seems to care about that. So I, I don't understand why we, we, we make this out to be more than it is for, from a, a presidential standpoint. Like it takes all this courage and, and strength to give this order. No, this is a layup. This is like the easiest decision that a president has to make, whether or not to go into the guy's compound and try to capture or kill the number one terrorist uh, on, the, on the hit list that we have. Yeah, it's a real hard decision. Let's not blow this out of proportion. It changes nothing. Uh, same thing with Osama bin Laden, how that didn't change anything, and how I, I never thought that that was uh, something that Obama should be congratulated for. Why? What did he do? He made the easiest call that a president could make. Uh, okay, congratulations. But Trump is never going to shut up about this. It's one more thing for him to hang his hat on, especially going into an election, which I think uh, Osama bin Laden was just before that election year, too. It's in 2011, wasn't it? 2012 is the election. Uh, this is, it's pretty interesting that we managed to, cat, to get these guys right before the president's up for re-election. Huh. <laughs> Look how that worked out. But so now Trump is going to be bragging about this all up until the election. You know, I got Baghdadi. I'm so great. I got Baghdadi. And then the Democrats will bend over backwards to try to downplay how important that is to try to take the talking points away from him. And this is the game that we play every four years. This is the game of politics. And you can start to see the the cracks in the foundation of this whole system that they've set up. And not just in America. You can, you can see it all over the world. That people are starting, at least I hope, people are starting to see through this whole charade. And, and, and they're, they're starting to recognize the corruption, which is one of the beautiful things about social media. About having all these alternative news outlets. About having podcasts like this. People can get real information that, that isn't being filtered through this whole government complex and this incestuous relationship that the media has with the government. The, the system that we have in place, the system that has been ruling civilization for the last couple hundred years, is starting to fall apart. And there is evidence of this going on all over the world today. I, I just saw a headline the other day. And it said something to the effect of, you know, we now have mass public unrest in France, Spain, Algeria, Iraq, Lebanon, Egypt, Hong Kong, Venezuela, Chile, Ecuador, and Bolivia. Now, I've talked about some of these protests on this podcast before. I've done an episode on the Yellow Vest protests in France. I've done an episode on Hong Kong. I've done an episode on Venezuela. So if you haven't gone back and listened to the to those those episodes and you don't know what's going on in those countries, I, I don't know what to tell you except go back and listen to the episode. I don't have time to rehash all that in this episode, and I don't have time to go into all these other countries that are experiencing civil unrest and protest and turmoil like Chile, Ecuador, Lebanon, Iraq. But there is a common thread to all of these protests, and if you, look, if you just Google them, 
you'll see Lebanon's, Lebanon's prime minister just resigned amid nationwide protests that were going on for a couple weeks. And it, it stems from political corruption, the government's failure to find solutions to economic problems. The, the government is failing the people. Okay, in Puerto Rico just had their governor removed, I think, in July. He resigned over political corruption. Iraq protests, same thing. Uh, they're, they're state corruption, deteriorating economic conditions. Bolivia, that if you, if you look into any of these, you will see that the same thing is taking root in, in all of these things. Civil unrest over election corruption, government corruption, poor economic conditions stemming from government corruption, the, the yellow vest protests, and the, we had the tractor protests in um, Dutch, I think, were, were, they had tractor protests, which are stemming from these, all these climate change activism where the government is asking regular, ordinary Americans you know, the, the middle class that they care, they claim to care so much about, they're asking them to sacrifice their livelihood while they fly around on private jets. The, the people are starting to wake up to this. At least I hope that they are. I'm going to be somewhat optimistic here because the corruption is becoming too obvious to hide thanks to social media, smartphones, the internet, the corporate press that has been in bed with the government since the beginning who have been providing cover for all these administrations, the stories that get exposed on the internet today would have never gotten exposed uh, for the likes of John F. Kennedy because the media threw him shade. The media gave him cover. They would never expose him for doing the things that they would expose a Donald Trump for doing. And in the case of Donald Trump, you know, they reveal their bias, that they're, they're going to go after him for illegitimate reasons. It reveals that not only are they biased, but they are going to carry water for the swamp. And not just the Democrats in the swamp. They'll carry water for Republicans, too, as long as you're pro-establishment. That's one thing that bubbled up to the surface in the Trump moment. Trump has gotten them to start liking the likes of Mitt Romney and John McCain. All of a sudden, they're heroes. And if you're going to play ball, if you're going to pretend that the media is fair and honest like Mitt Romney does, they'll cover for you, at least to some extent. But I think what we're starting to see take place around the world is a failure of government and, and, and sort of a culmination of everything that I talk about on this, on this show. Fiat currencies that are controlled by governments have been losing their value. I talk about the value of money all the time. People are no longer feeling like they are progressing towards something better. In the U.S., millennials will be the first generation to not live a more successful life than their parents. Our foreign policy has created migrant crises across Europe. That's leading to a lot of problems. We have been playing this very dangerous game of, of uncontrolled debt, uncontrolled government spending, fiat currencies with, with government control of the money supply, unrestrained control. They can do whatever they want. We have negative interest rates in some countries, which before a few years ago, people thought would, would have been impossible. This is a very dangerous monetary and financial experiment going on around the world, and it's going to fail. It's going to fail soon, and it's already failing in certain places. And the larger governments get, the more governments control 
the more aspects of your life they control, the more socialist they become, the faster and more devastatingly they fail, like they have in Venezuela. And if we're not careful, if we don't find a way to right this ship and quickly, we're going to follow the same fate because we've, we've abandoned the principles that got us to where we are. You know, we all live by these libertarian principles in every day of our lives. The, the principles that I constantly harp on in this show. Limited government, limited to no government, if you ask me. But free markets, individualism, peace, tolerance. It's just that we, we make exceptions for certain matters when it comes to the state, when it comes to government. And it's because we've essentially been indoctrinated and propagandized our entire lives to think that there's no other way to handle things like roads, police and fire, education, health care, environmental issues, you name it. But when we turn over control of those things to the government, not only do we get substandard service, as I think I've laid out pretty convincingly throughout episodes of this podcast, we get worse service at much higher costs, but we also sacrifice the principle of self-ownership by agreeing that it's okay to hurt people and take their stuff if it's a cause that you believe is good. And you can pick any issue you want, any issue that's important to you, national defense, education, health care, police and fire, it doesn't matter. Once you agree that it's okay to steal from people, to take care of those things that you believe are important because you found some way of justifying it in your head, you know, whether it be for the greater good or that ridiculous social contract everyone seems to believe in. And if you haven't already, I suggest you go back and listen to me utterly destroy the notion of the existence of a social contract and the idea that it's a valid justification for all the things that government does. But once you admit that theft is okay in certain circumstances, in certain instances, as long as the government's the one doing it, You've sacrificed 100% of the principle that you own yourself and that you are not property of the federal government. You're essentially saying that the government has a claim to you, first and foremost. It, it, it trumps the claim that you have to yourself. If they're only taking, say, 10% of your income from you, that's only because that's what they've currently decided on. If they decided it was 60%, then they would take 60%. And there's nothing you can really argue because you've already sacrificed the principle. You've already given them the go-ahead to take from you what is yours for the greater good. Then the inevitable happens. You get the Elizabeth Warrens of the world to come forward and stake a claim to not just your earnings, but your possessions as well, your wealth, uh, which, by the way, has already been taxed once. But this is what they believe. This is what government thinks, that they own you, that they have a claim on your possessions. You are, in fact, their slaves, your property of the federal government. And since we've surrendered our self-autonomy to the federal government and we've given them control over all these things we value so dearly because of some misguided notion that since they're so important to us, we can't leave them to the free market. Well, no, no, we have to leave them to our benevolent Wise overlords in Washington, they must take care of them for us. Well, since we've done that, 
Then every two or four years, when our masters are up for re-election, those who control the things that we care the most about are in flux. And our values, things like what our kids are going to be taught in school, or maybe some religious matters that are near and dear to your heart, or who we can associate with, and how we can run the business that feeds our kids, that all hangs in the balance. And that's when you get conflict. Those are the situations where people who are, in every other aspect of life, getting along with each other just fine, now all of a sudden, they have to fight with one another for control. Because it's a zero-sum game when the government's involved. Government power is zero-sum. By having a two-party system where uh, each party is basically diametrically opposed, they have diametrically opposed worldviews, by definition, when a Republican gains power, all the Democrats have now lost, right? And when a Democrat gains power, well, now the Republicans lose, and they have to live by the rules of those in power no matter how much they disagree with them. The beautiful thing about a free market, about voluntary cooperation, which we all embrace in almost every other aspect of our daily lives. Think about everything that you do on a daily basis. It's pretty much all voluntary. Every interaction you have, all your relationships, the very nature of them being voluntary means that every exchange is a win-win. It's not zero-sum. It's not an I-win-you-lose scenario, or more realistically, from the perspective of the political class, it's heads-I-win, tails-you-lose. The Democrats and Republicans, as long as it's a two-party stranglehold, they're always a winner. They'll always win, and you'll always lose. Yeah, sure, you know, it's you get better perks when your party is in power in Washington if you're a politician. But as long as there's only two of them, they both win. They're both living high on the hog, tricking us into playing their game, and they'll be content going back and forth, trading who's in power every couple of years, as long as no third-party option enters the mix. Which is why they're always trying to change the rules, by the way, to prevent that from happening. They stole the nomination from Bernie Sanders last time. The Republicans, I know, wanted to take it from Trump. They talked about taking it from Trump. They discussed changing the rules, but he was just so overwhelmingly popular that they couldn't. They wouldn't have been able to get away with it, with stealing that election from him or stealing that nomination from him. So they did the next best thing, deep state coups. They started the deep state coup that would consume his entire first term and now a bullshit impeachment attempt. But the system we have set up is failing all of us. It's failing us because we've abandoned the principles that I talked about of limited or no government at all, property rights, self-ownership. We've allowed government to run amok. They always talk about capitalism run amok, capitalism this, capitalism that. Government has. Governments run amok. We started with the smallest government in the world and we tried to restrain it with the chains of the Constitution but we were basically letting the fox guard the hen house. And they broke out of those chains, and now they've put them on us. And I do see some hope in all this turmoil that's going on. Because people are starting to realize that the system is broken. But if we don't wake up and realize that the system is inherently flawed, that it's inherently violent, 
inherently inefficient and full of conflict, and we don't start to really look into something different, like getting as close as we can to not having any of this cancerous system in our lives, well, then we're just going to go get more of the same, more of the same problems. If we just think we need to vote in the right people, that's never going to happen. Okay, you're choosing between Coke and Pepsi and trying to get orange juice. (laughs) Okay, orange juice is never on the menu. They've trapped us in this system because we've sacrificed our principles and surrendered control. I know I went on quite a rant last episode about how everyone cowers to these politicians and we treat them like royalty. We treat them like they rule over us. And it's very frustrating to watch people who are supposed to be free kissing the rings of these political elites who have done nothing to deserve our respect. They only deserve our utmost contempt, and we have to constantly hold them in that regard if we ever want to try and curb their authority. If you want to be able to protest to change things, if you want your voice to be heard when all of these other options that they've given us inevitably fail, you better hope that you haven't surrendered too much to your government. You better hope that they don't have control over the money supply and the ability to control all of your financial transactions that I went into in the last podcast episode. You better hope they haven't completely militarized the police force or a Gestapo that they can now mobilize against you. You better hope that you're still able to defend yourself from their oppression because the system that they've put in place is not only failing, It's not set up to allow it to do anything other than move in the same direction it's been going for a hundred years. You can vote until you're blue in the face. You will not get one iota of change. Barack Obama was supposed to be hoping change, and all we got was George Bush with better orator skills. (laughs) Okay, Trump was supposed to drain the swamp. He was going to be this anti-establishment guy. And we've got nothing different from him policy-wise, I know a lot of you don't want to admit this, than Barack Obama. The only thing that changes ever is the rhetoric or the talking points. No matter how you vote, you always get John McCain. I forget who said that, but that's somebody's law. We have to stop playing their game. We have to stop believing their lies and fooling ourselves into thinking that the system we have now is the system we were supposed to have when that initial Declaration of Independence was drafted. We have to stop lionizing these politicians. We have to stop looking to them for answers. We have to stop looking for them to provide for us, and we have to provide for ourselves. And those of us that are fortunate enough to be in a position to do that need to help those who can't. We need to help provide for the less fortunate. And we can do all this voluntarily. We can do this cooperatively if we stop allowing power-hungry, narcissistic, scumbag politicians to divide us into groups and pit us against each other and keep us squabbling over the scraps that they allow us to keep. The government should be the ones squabbling over our scraps. They should be running off of our scraps. Government should be so small and inconsequential that you don't even notice it. And then all of these so-called problems that we consume ourselves with every couple of years, they all magically go away. You don't hurt people and you don't take their stuff. No exceptions. 
If you think there is a cause that needs to be taken up, do it. You do it. You fund it. You advocate for it and get others to voluntarily help you out. The sooner we start doing this, the sooner we can prove to ourselves that we don't need government handouts to help us out, the sooner we will remember that government is like a weight tied around our ankles as we try to tread water through life. The sooner we start to realize that, the better chance we have of fixing these issues before the only option we have to change things is the civil unrest that we're seeing take place throughout the world today. I hope it's not too late. Guys, if you like the show today, do me a favor, download and subscribe, share the show with your friends. I always ask that you share it with at least two people that you think might enjoy it. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. And if you want to go above and beyond the call of duty, if you want to do one of those things that I was just talking about earlier, and you have a cause that you believe in, you can go to our website, PedalingFictionPodcast.com, and donate to the show from there. Every dollar you donate goes right back into the show to create content and increase our reach. And if you can do all that, I promise that I will keep coming back to produce great content for you fine folks. And until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.